Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Thomas Frank Carr. T. Frank, how are we doing this week? Uh, chugging along. It's the uh, dark of the dead period, although we did get a chance to talk to Penn State football during their Thon event, which was pretty cool. They had karaoke. So if you want uh, to check out people singing with the confidence that I will never understand, uh, you know, I got a couple of snippets over on my Twitter feed. So that was that was an interesting, uh, interesting weekend. I am betting from the way you phrase that the uh, the confidence was un warranted i so you know i don't want to sit here and be a music critic because uh i can't really sing myself um and i don't have the confidence to do karaoke so i don't think the care i don't think the point of karaoke is doing it well i think the point of karaoke is doing it loud and uh, there were a couple people that were slaying <laughs> on the mic there was one thon family kid who was killing it especially on the taylor swift songs um and then of course golden and chumba was really good um and you know then there were some people who were just really excited to be singing karaoke and i i give them all the credit in the world well just the last note on that when you say someone was killing it with the taylor swift songs yes it's true people jim has never heard any taylor swift songs you don't have to keep sending me links saying Gee, Jim, certainly you've heard this song or that's no, I haven't. Okay. I'm an old guy. I no, I haven't heard Seems any. Seems pretty of willful. It. Seems pretty uh decidedly like you're making a decision at this point. I made the joke that Taylor Swift is like Walmart. Like it's just a thing. It's ubiquitous in American <laughs> culture at this point. It, well, my satellite radio, the music stations are uh the 60s, the 70s. Classic vinyl and classic rewind. Until she reaches classic vinyl or rewind, T. Frank, my my streak is intact of no Taylor Swift. And again, it's not a statement on her talents or abilities. I just haven't heard it. All right, let's move forward. I'm done with Taylor Swift, T. Frank. Let's talk about Abdul Carter instead of Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Much different skill set by the way, for Abdul Carter than Taylor Swift. And he made the big move. We find out when they put out the roster with the positions and we see any position changes. Lo and behold, linebacker Abdul Carter is now defensive end Abdul Carter. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people made the first, the first comparison. Is this the Micah Parsons path that he's on? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I, I think the obvious parallels are there. Um, I don't know what... 
you know, we, we can all say we know what Penn State's plan was in 2020 for Micah Parsons. Was he going to be a full-time edge? Were they going to use him in a hybrid situation? Abdul Carter rushed the passer 100 times last year. So um, to me, the biggest change is not going to be that he's rushing the passer. It is going to be the frequency that will be more for sure. But it's also going to be where he's rushing from. So a lot of times in Manny Diaz's defense, there were some schematic things that gave him an advantage. Now he's going to have to be winning one-on-one -on -one against a tackle. And that is a very different prospect. And it's going to be something that I think is going to be super interesting to watch. Uh, I think uh, Dion Barnes can do a great job with him. I think Abdul has the talent and the skills and the physical attributes necessary to do it. But it is one of those things that you have to do. Like you, we can't just assume that he's going to be better at rushing over a tackle than against maybe a center who's trying to help or God forbid the running backs he destroyed in 2022. And then sometimes in 2023. So there's just different aspects of this move that I think I'm interested to watch play out during uh, spring football. Are you an advocate of the move? I think I'm agnostic. Um, I, I think that it's, it's obvious that he has the talent to do it. Um, but uh, he's not six, five two sixty five like an NFL defensive end prototype sort of, sort of guy. He's, he's got the size. He's, he's got the size, but he also had the size to play linebacker. I thought he was doing some good things in coverage. Um, it was an area he wasn't developing as quickly. Uh, and there were times that I did. He wasn't special all the time last year. So then we assume he would never get there. Um, I do think he had the ability to play the run and play the pass adequately uh, and be a, a three-dimensional player that can rush, that can cover, that can play the run. Um, but it was taking some time to develop. And, and, and just after his sophomore season to say he has to play defensive end because he wasn't playing linebacker with, uh, I think, the instinctive trigger that he... Uh, obviously has. I, I don't think that that's, I, I think it's premature to say like he was always going to be a defensive end. It's the position he'll get the most money for sure in the NFL. And I think it's a position he can be elite at. But I also, I held out the idea that he could be a good coverage player and kind of be that 250 pound freak that can play linebacker maybe he moves to mike in the nfl and you you blitz over the center as a mike so a lot of the things he was doing did translate to uh the next level but at the same time you know he provides you special things off the edge that this particular group up front don't bring a hundred percent so i think his skill set complements penn state and it's a it's a smart move like it, there's there's no arguing the move it's just what are what's the best path forward and uh, what's maximizing his talent and his impact on the game? Well, T. Frank, I have no problem with him making a position move that helps him make more money in the, at the next level. Yeah. But I want to know that it's going to make him more valuable to the Penn State Nittany Lions. There, there's the nothing more. There's, there's nothing more valuable than rushing the passer and getting pressure on the quarterback. The, that is the most valuable thing outside of probably being a shutdown corner. I think we can have that debate back and forth. It's the chicken or the egg of if you have a shutdown corner, does it give your pass rush more time? If you have an elite pass rusher, does it give your corner more confidence? You know, however you want to do that. Those are the two positions that are the most important. So as much as like 
linebacker is important. And I think we've seen what happens when you devalue the position to the point that you don't have good players, you know, across college football. But at the same time, the hierarchy of needs for a team. Yeah. Defensive end. You can't really equate defensive end and linebacker. Like they, they, especially off ball, pure off ball linebackers. They just can't have the same impact as a defensive end because of the, the value of pressure on the quarterback. Well, you might debate the defensive end, uh, cornerback, shutdown cornerback. I don't. I think the defensive end, I think Chop Robinson was the most valuable player on Penn State's defense a year ago. And my feeling is you had two NFL defensive ends, Robinson and Adisa Isaac. And even though there's depth there, this this guy is a game changer. And anytime you're allowing him to go attack the quarterback, you're saying, I'm giving myself a better opportunity to change the game. That's my feeling on it, T. Frank. So maybe that's just me agreeing with you. And so he brings something that I think Penn State needs as well. And that is kind of a fastball off the edge player where you mentioned Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac. Both those guys had, you know, explosive speed. And Amin Vanover has been very good. If you look at the advanced metrics and it, uh, admittedly it's a small sample size. And last year, a lot of it was in cleanup duty. It wasn't even um, as much in 2022, like it was when he was a rotational player for however that worked out. Um, he was impactful, has been impactful for the last two years in a per capita basis. And denied and a Sutton has some of the best metrics as far as quick wins and explosive pressures on the quarterback that uh, Penn State's had, you know, he's right up there with those two guys. But if you're talking about like receivers have a different skill set of you want to have fast guys, you want to have big guys, you want to have guys that can do a little bit of everything. Abdul Carter is the speed off the edge where you've got a lot of power guys in Vanover and uh, denied Dennis Sutton. And you don't want to be relying on Jameel Lyons, a sophomore to bring that kind of twitchiness and explosiveness off the edge, because I don't know that he is the most explosive guy. Like, I don't know if he's in the same territory of athlete and that is pure time on task for me i need to see more of him at the college level to get a sense of that because i didn't get a sense in high school how athletic he was because i just i felt like there was a lot of raw that was preventing him from showing his skills so carter brings that speed that you know on obvious passing downs third down but also just generally the threat of it will give a, a really good balance to this defensive line. And I do think for as excited as people are that, uh, you know, are envisioning all of these things, what what uh, Tom Allen has done on defense, especially last year, there's a lot of similarities to what Manny Diaz did. So there's versatility. He can still drop into coverage. He can still play a pseudo linebacker position, but he's going to be going after the quarterback primarily and doing that in a secondary uh, role as being a drop player because there's a lot of zone dropping in this defense and, and a lot of changing of windows. So there's still that versatility, but you get that speed off the edge, which I think is important for this defense, as you mentioned, to maintain their advantage up front. And as we talked about, yes, uh, losing Robinson and Isaac, you're backfilling that with a phenomenal athlete. And I think that's the biggest reason but is there any other reason for the timing of this change uh, is i guess what i'm asking is tom allen taking over does that have anything to do with this decision do you think a little bit 
I think that there is uh, an interesting conversation about safeties and linebackers and and who you have who you want to have on the field and what's important for the defense to create to recreate what he was doing in Indiana. And you do need safeties to do some of the things that he liked to do. You can't drop a linebacker into a deep third, you know, unless it's a, you know, unless it's a crazy linebacker that's done that before. And there are very few of those. And usually that guy is more of a safety than a linebacker anyway. So I think that there is, um, you're clearing the path for more versatility on that level by taking Abdul Carter and moving him down. I do think that as much as I was talking up his ability to play in coverage, it might never have been his strong suit. And it is something absolutely those box linebackers, the the will and the Mike linebacker have to be very good in coverage. Some of the things that he was having those players do in coverage were pretty unique. You know, having, having uh, will linebackers playing underneath of deep crossers, 15 yards down the field from the opposite side in order to take away the primary uh, route in an offense, you know, Ohio state loves to run these deep, these deep crossers and they would, throw guys at it from different angles is Abdul Carter going to be able to do that better than some of the other linebackers that are not 250 pounds walking around, you know, like he might be able to get to 255, 260. Who knows? Like, I, I don't know what his body type is going to be able to do, but it does provide that flexibility on the second level where you can still drop him into coverage, but you have primary coverage players on that back end. All right, T Fank. That's the last word for quarter. Number one, quarter, number two, I'm going to ask you, how do they replace him now at the linebacker position? Stay tuned for that. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number two. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We're talking Penn State football. T. Frank, an interesting conversation in quarter number one. Of course, Abdul Carter making the move from linebacker to defensive end. Um I, I think it's a great move for him and for the team. It's that replacement for Chop Robinson. You've got another freak now at defensive end going after the quarterback. And as you pointed out, there may not be anything more important, more of a game changer for defense than being able to get after the quarterback. Now, if there's a downside to all this, it's, well, you are taking out a very good linebacker, putting him at defensive end. So the question goes, all right, what now at linebacker? And before we start this conversation about some of the young guys who are coming up, uh, T. Frank, we're all familiar with the terminology. There's a middle linebacker, two outside linebackers. They're listed as um, the Mike linebacker for middle linebacker and the Mm -hmm. Will and the Sam for weak side and strong side. Can you give us a... I know I've asked you this before, but I think it's important for our listeners to hear it before we get into this linebacker conversation. The difference between the Will and the Sam linebackers. Yeah, so uh, the Will stands for weak side. So W, W, um, that player plays to the short side of the field or to the to the part of the formation away from the tight end whichever one the defense wants to align with and that's that's typically how that works is you know he's going to the short side of the formation the short side of the field um and he's typically a 
bigger, stronger box player, able to you know interact with guards, centers, and tackles more frequently. Your middle linebacker is your guy who patrols the middle, sideline to sideline, runs the defense. Everyone knows the middle linebacker. And then the Sam linebacker, that's really the position that we have the most conversation about in college football and really in the NFL. Like This is the position where spread offenses going three receivers or just generally the diversity of talents out on the football field that has caused the biggest revolution on defense over the last 20 years. It's pretty ubiquitous at this point that that's not a linebacker anymore in the NFL and a lot of college teams. That is some sort of hybrid player. Some teams use a slot corner all the time. That is a, that's a, a physical slot cornerback who has the ability to play the run but is primarily a coverage player because that's that's the focus that's the that's the skill set you need to the wide side of the field or to where the slot receiver is in the NFL um and so that's the conversation in Tom Allen's defense the same thing Manny Diaz had uh, you know was trying to do at Penn State before Abdul Carter forced his way onto the field and, and created a situation where they were playing a lot of these heavy formation teams anyway in the Big 10 so they went back to three linebackers but that's that's the conversation. Do you want to have a linebacker that's better against the run at Sam? Or do you want to have a safety that's more adept in coverage that can do different things and play out into the flat primarily underneath in zone coverages, but can do a bunch of different things um, on normal passing on, on normal downs, first down, second down, where you can both run and pass. And of course, this could vary down to down distance you know third and long will be different than third and one perhaps and you talked also about tom allen uh, he seems to lean more towards the two linebackers and an extra safety playing that third linebacker position correct yeah so <laughs> this is all changing. i use the expression leans towards it not yes. necessarily you know it's adamant that he's going to do it yeah, so I guess that, that is where I started, and that's the that's the truth. So that's kind of the base understanding of a four-two-five, kind of similar to what Brent Pry liked to do, similar to what Manny Diaz came in and was going to do. So it the Big Ten is a little different, where you do have these teams like Michigan and Minnesota and Iowa that are so different from everywhere else in college football that run two tight ends. Minnesota's main like defense is, or sorry, offense is a six offensive line formation is what they use previous in some seasons. So there is some different matchups. Now the big 10 is expanding to add USC, Oregon, Washington, and UCLA and, and, and pack 12 teams that play much more spread. So, Michigan's not on Penn State's schedule every year anymore. The quasi rivalry that they had, you know, Penn State played Iowa a lot. And whether or not Penn State fans want to agree with this idea, but one of the best matchups in the Big Ten was Penn State and Iowa. Iowa runs with a real fullback. So do you need to have those three linebacker packages as much, or should you switch to something that's going to defend your most common opponents the best way? And to me, that's the conversation I've been thinking about as I've been processing some of the talent they have on the roster and the opponents they're going to face. Because I realized this when I was talking about Sharon Moore and, and Jim Harbaugh, and I realized Michigan's not on the schedule anymore. 
it's other than like competitive standings, they don't matter to Penn State in the pursuit of a college football playoff other than Penn State has to beat the play, the teams on their schedule. So you need to design your teams to beat the teams on your schedule. And I do think that's changing. So we do have to have a conversation of, again, what is the best scenario between a three linebacker system where last year, to give you an example, and this is a long way around this, of I've been pointing this out because it was new to me. Um, there was a player, uh, number four, I apologize. I've had his name uh, in my mind three or four times this offseason and forgotten already, but was a defensive end, six foot five, 255 pounds that Tom Allen used against certain teams like Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State, who tried to be a run heavy team last year, where they would play an old school 4 3 defense with a defensive end, basically, that is their Sam linebacker. So there is a path in the future where Abdul Carter is still kind of playing linebacker, but he's primarily a defensive end. There's also a uh, place in the future where that's Tony Rojas or somebody else. And then, of course, you have the situation where you can have three safeties on the field. So I think at this point, I don't know what they want to do. And this is the good reason, because they can do any of those things. They can do all of those things based on the talent that they have. And they, there's always been, I used to the reference a year ago that on defense, there's approximately 20 starters. Okay. Both the talent is there and their ability to change things up, you know, different permutations. Yeah. But let's talk specifically about the linebacker position, T. Frank, where you now are absent Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter. So now they are going to have to backfill tight end. And I guess mm -hmm. the obvious place to start is Tony Rojas. Yeah. So this is the interesting thing that we got. So, uh, about a week ago, Penn State allowed their first-year players, uh, second-year players, media access for the first time. So we got to talk to Tony Rojas, Jamia Lyons, Kavion Keys, all those guys. And uh, if you want kind of a breakdown of that, BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, we, we have all that information about what we learned from those guys and some of the interesting nuggets that came out of it. And one of those things was Tony Rojas is at the Sam position, which kind of threw me, given that later we found out Abdul Carter is moving to defensive end. So to me... When I hear that, I hear Tony can play the Sam position. The other young linebackers are better fit for the will. So that is that is trying to build a three linebacker package. So some of the guys, I, I find it interesting that Tony is not the next will right now. He is playing Sam. And I think that's curious. There's I have a lot of thoughts on that in particular because... I think long-term, given what we just talked about at the start of the segment, it doesn't make a ton of sense that your best linebacker is going to be in a position that is temporary. No matter what, you're going to go to a third down where you're going to a nickel package with, with a slot corner. You might be going to a third down package with three safeties. You might want to get one of those safeties on the field in regular downs anyway. So Tony playing Sam, to me, is... We're building our three linebacker package for when we need it, but I, I by no means do I feel like that is a permanent solution. So you, your thought was he would be on the weak side and on the field a three-down linebacker as yes. opposed that to he would be the next the will strong side behind. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's the strong side that would typically go out on a third third and long situation where you're bringing in the extra safety or cornerback, the yeah. the extra defensive back. 
Um, and it's where he played last year, too. He played behind Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs at that will position. So I just the whole thing is very interesting. And I think it smacks of um, spring football doesn't mean that's where we're going to end the conversation about this particular topic. I think there's a long way to go to find out who the two and three linebackers that are going to be on the field, who those are going to be. Well, let's talk about the other linebacker possibilities. You mentioned talking to some of the uh, second-year players and that linebacker. Who are those guys, and what were your impression of them? So we didn't get a chance to talk to this player, but I want to mention him first because of seniority. Uh, Keon Wiley, I think, played well last year when he got the opportunity. Looked like he understood the position. He's a high school defensive end. He's smaller than the rest of these guys. He's about 220 pounds, but um, I thought he played well, uh, and I think he has that versatility that we're talking about here will linebackers need to blitz because they're in the box so if you're going to blitz an extra player it's going to be one of those two linebackers typically like that is a generalization that it, your will linebacker needs to be the athlete that can do all of those things um but the guy that we got a chance to talk to and i think somebody who changes the math here is kv keys he spent last year on the developmental squad and just talking to him super mature kid he came in as a as a four-star linebacker. He was the third in the Tony Rojas, Tammy Robinson linebacker class where he added a little bit later. But he don't don't think of him as a secondary player. He has the ability to be one of those will players that has uh, the athleticism to cover, tackle, play in the box. He's 230 now and uh you know, he just talked about his his desire to get better and his desire to use last year's red shirt as a real development lab to get better as a football player, to get bigger, to get stronger. And um, not only is he like a really impressive person, but he's a guy that had a lot of talent and a lot of potential coming in. And it seems like if you're moving Abdul Carter, it's best for him, but you have to have depth behind him that you feel confident about. Even if you're moving to more of a four, two, than a four, three, you need to have more guys you trust because it can't just be Tony Rojas. Uh, or else something bad is going to happen if he gets hurt. So I think KV on keys is a big part of the reason they felt comfortable doing this, having the ability to um, play or be a part of the conversation, even if he's not a starter this upcoming spring and then into the fall as that will linebacker. I think he is, he's a will um, going forward. And that can be kind of the, the balance of having um, those three linebacker packages. All right, T. Frank, that's going to be the last word for quarter number two. When we come back, what else? It's quarter three. We're going to ask T. Frank. That's where we take your questions and we get the absolute brilliant answers from T. Frank. You want to stay tuned for that. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. We all know what that means. It's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions for T. Frank. And if you want to send your question in, all you got to do is download our app. That's Keystone Sports. Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button and away you go. All right. Let's get started right away with our good friend Brad from Percasey who says, T. Frank, which redshirt freshman could have the biggest impact this year and in their career? Oh, let's pull up the roster. Uh, I, 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 there's always somebody I'm going to forget um, on this. I'm So the conversation that we just had about the defense, I'm going to start with one of those safeties, either King Mack or Dakari Nelson, because um, 
I always make the mistake of I'm trying to think of this in terms of NFL of I want 11 players on the field at all times that can uh, fix any situation. And if I want to go to a sub package, like I can get a dime defense out there or I can bring in a third linebacker um, or I can bring in a, a third safety as as a third down package or, or goal line package or show yardage package. But primarily, I want to have my fix it defense defense out there all the time. You mentioned this, that they have they play a lot of players and that's intentional to keep everyone interested and to have all of this talent and depth get experience and develop. So you don't have these massive cliffs later. So those are the two guys that I think I'm interested in uh, to start off, because I think both of those guys have the talent to play in Tom Allen's defense um, and and fulfill that role in different ways. King Mack is more of a slot corner safety and Dakari Nelson is more of a linebacker safety hybrid. Um, and th- like I said, the biggest difference in, in playing a corner or a safety there in that in that linebacker position is the flexibility of dropping them into a surprise coverage where you could drop. They did, they did this with Daquan Hardy last year. He'd be in the slot and suddenly he's a too high safety. Now he's playing a traditional safety role in a cover two defense um, or you have him play man coverage, you know, King Mac playing man coverage and what are the upper end of his skills there? Then you've got Dakari Nelson. Is he a tight end eraser? There, there's more flexibility to do things in the deep ha- part of the field. If you've got a safety or a corner, as opposed to a linebacker whose body type and skills typically mean they're going to be in the middle. Like they're, they're not going into deep coverage. Um, so I'm looking at the rest of the roster. I guess the number one player though, I guess the number the two number one players would be Anthony Donko and Javen Williams. Anthony Donko has an opportunity to be um, a starter as a redshirt freshman offensive lineman. He's 6'5", 328. I saw him uh, in person uh, at the Thon event, and we got to see him on Tuesday of last week, and my goodness, is he huge. <laughs> he came into school big, and he's bigger. He's just, he's, he's everything you want in an offensive lineman. He's got a He's got a bit of a guard body type, but his talent, his athleticism, his length, his feet, they all say he can play tackle. Um, And I don't want everyone to think that this is me saying he's the next um, Caden Wallace, who is going to be a, you know, take a long time to develop. The point is like, he's, he's got some special skills. And then Javen um, found out he's only 18. (laughs) He, He is, his birthday's in August. So he was 17 when he got to campus. Um, and now he's like a, an older, you know, 18 years old, going to be 19 at the start of the season next year. So he's just he's so advanced for his age, but he's also a guy who's maturing. Um, I don't want to say later than everybody else, but like there's just a difference in people's development curves when you're a year younger than everybody else. And and I think that, you know, the athleticism is still there. The physical ability is still there. So Penn State, two of their offensive linemen um, couldn't be special. You know, and I don't want to go through the whole class. Like I wanted to leave it to a couple of players, but Alex Birchmeyer still has talent. Like we haven't talked about him in a while. So there's a lot of good answers to this question, but I'll leave it to the players that I mentioned so far. And just a quick mention that you're talking about offensive linemen. I'm fascinated by that. And I love it that they are stacking recruiting classes on the offensive line, which is great for the depth and uh, level of talent there also. Okay. Okay, let's go to Charles in Altoona, who says, how do you think James Franklin has changed or progressed as a coach since starting at Penn State? That's a great question, because I don't think a lot of people 
talk about coaching in this in that way. We talk about players getting better. We talk about them developing, but we don't talk about the the coaches and lessons learned and their ability to evolve. I would say, um, and I don't want to I don't want to take away credit from where he started because I always feel like he's tried to put players in the best position possible. His decision making process is about maximizing his players' time. Not just their for Penn State, but also for them and what's best for them. But I think he's um, really focused on adapting whatever you're doing to the talent you have on hand. Sometimes maybe to the detriment of the coordinator, as we saw, you know, last year with with um, Mike Yersich. and and that couldn't go deeper, right? So the the coach the adults should have the ability to be flexible and adapt. But at a certain point, like I wrote about this uh, almost two years ago at this point, how far can you take something before it's not the same thing as it was before? So I think the defense is a perfect example of they were not stuck on Manny Diaz playing Jonathan Sutherland uh, at Sam linebacker in 2022. When they saw they had better players, they adapted. I would also say the the third down decisions, everyone's going to kill him for the third and fourth down decisions, but he has, I think, developed a really good balance of understanding and seeing the analytics, but also understanding his defense and understanding the strengths of his team and situations where he needs to go for it. And when he there are situations where he should play safe um, because of some of the other things on the defensive side, the, the analytics there of punting and playing deep in somebody else's territory and being able to get stops. And I, I think that that decision-making process has, has gotten better. Um, and he's kind of developed a, another level of understanding of uh, insight. And that doesn't always mean it works because eventually you have to have good players on offense to execute and deliver on the, that belief and that for, you know, all those situations. But I think the decision-making process, I, I have very few problems with the times he goes for it, given the individual situ situations. And I would really like to not adjudicate every single one of them because, you know, there's a million different nuances in all of them. But when you put them all together, I think it, they are generally the right decisions. Um, I like, uh, T. Frank, that you used the word adapting. I literally, in my notes after this question, wrote the word adapting down but in a little yeah. different context, I think James Franklin's a really smart guy and college football is changing so quickly off the point. field with That's NIL really and transfer portal. I think James Franklin has he irrelevant, whether he likes it or not. I don't think any of the coaches like a lot of these changes, but he knows it's the reality. He has said this for years and he has a strategy for these things. Mm -hmm. He's thought that, thought it out where I think there are a lot of coaches who are just unable to adapt. It's this is the way I coach. This is the way it works. And James Franklin, I think, is smart enough to adapt. I uh, So I, I appreciate that. I think that's a, a major part of his coaching abilities. All right, let's go to Mike in Scranton who says, how do you see the Penn State offense making use of Quentin Martin in both his freshman season and also then going forward. So I struggle with this question because Quentin Martin has been here for five minutes. 
Um, and I don't think he's the key to unlocking the offense. The key to unlocking the offense is Drew Aller, but then, you know, the receivers, like an actual receiver playing receiver, being good at receiver, running routes, going down the field, getting gimmicky with a slash player is how you take some of those concepts and you take them to a new level because you have the, uh, you have the base threats of our running game is good and our downfield passing game is good. And suddenly we have this middle player where you don't know how to use him. You don't know how to, um, uh, you don't know how to match up with him. But if you're starting there, it's kind of like starting with cake. That's not a meal. You're going to get sick. So I, I, I think, Yes, they can use him as a versatile slash player, move him into the slot, have him be adaptable. Andy Kotelnicki used two running backs very well uh, at Kansas. But my opinion is three receivers creates more explosive plays. You know, I can go into the data and show you where it creates more explosive plays and it creates more explosive plays in both the run and the pass game. So adapting to the talent you have, having two good running backs, having two good tight ends only gets you so far. You need to have good receivers. So um, I know I'm talking about, you know, kind of a an odd yeah, off angle way. I'm the answer is Julian Fleming to how do you use Quentin Martin? But that's, you know, unlock the <laughs> offense. And then Quentin Martin becomes dangerous as that guy you have to think about as the fourth option. That's crazy. Um, but ultimately, long term, the, the plan is for him to be a running back and he's going to grow into being a running back. You know, his frame is good. I don't know. He'll be 230 pounds. And seeing him up close uh, this past weekend, um, he, he can get much bigger. He's under 94 pounds. He's still got plenty of room to grow, but he's going to be a running back. He's going to be a tall running back, and that's where you're going to start. I, I don't I don't think that the plan has changed at all in in that respect, especially seeing as they haven't even gotten a spring ball yet to see how he, uh, you know, adapts to the college game. Uh, T. Frank, I... I really agree with you here because uh, some fans just see, hey, he's a running back who's able to catch the ball, make him a wide receiver, instead of saying, hey, he's a running back who could catch the ball out of the backfield, which I think is a real valuable skill set. In fact, you yeah. know, I'd like to see them get Nick Singleton the ball that way more often. And in the yeah. long run, I want to be able to say he's he's a really good player because he's a running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield, and that's what makes him special. All right, how about another question about James Franklin? This one comes from Sam in Tampa, who says, uh, T. Frank, many people criticize James Franklin as a game day coach. What is your major criticism of Franklin on game day, and can you give any examples? So uh, I'm in a unique situation where I'm not watching the game like you. I'm not watching it in situations. I'm not watching it in, in those kind of lenses uh, because I'm I'm doing trying to do live analysis of I'm going through play by play and saying, what are they doing today? And trying to understand what the game plan is while it's happening. So I just don't have the bandwidth to also then be paying attention to situation, um, you know, the same way. So I don't have that cataloged in my brain uh, as much as, as I have in the past. Um, and I know that I gave the answer about his, his game day, third down management and things like that. So it's not entirely like cut off. I'm, I'm a robot only looking at one thing, like, but I, I, I would say um, some of the play calls, <laughs> you know, uh, third and 15 and we're and you're, you're trying to do things in the run game. Um, where I understand conceptually that that's what you're trying to do, but 
you know, it's in vogue to run on third and nine now, and teams are anticipating those things. So I guess it's not even necessarily him as much as the play play call on those third and medium to longs. All right, T. Frank, that's it for quarter number three. We've got more to go. Stick around for quarter four. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. Hey, T. Frank, I just wanted to follow up. I wanted to give my thoughts when talking about James Franklin and his game day decisions. That's a conversation Mm -hmm. we could probably do a whole show on. And in fact, between segments, you and I were having a nice discussion on some of the different things. I want to point out also that in game day, I'll go back to what I I said about James Franklin being a really smart guy. When that could go against you is sometimes if you're really smart, you use analytics, you know, what is the smart way to do things? And sometimes if if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. that's when the fans will react to you and say, yep. oh, he, why did he do that? The one example I want to bring up is when they were down uh, 15 points, and scored a touchdown. They had to go for two points either with the first score or the second score. And he did it for the first score, and they didn't Mm -hmm. convert the two-point conversion. Now, there's literally been analysis done where it is smarter to do that with the first score rather than holding off to the second. Yet he got so criticized for it. Now, had he made it, there would not have been that criticism. But the Mm -hmm. facts are that's the smarter time to do it. What it does is it gives you an awareness of what you need to do later. If you wait for the second touchdown, all your eggs are in that basket. You don't make it. You're done. If you fail that conversion the first time, you have more awareness of what you need to do later. You need to score two more times, not just once. So it's this, but because it didn't work, he got heavily criticized for it. So sometimes I think some of the criticism that he gets is unfair. I'm not saying he's perfect with his decisions because sometimes I think he's tied too much to the, to the analytics. All right. So T Frank, that's my two cents on James Franklin. Yeah. On game. You mentioned Um, just one quick thing. You mentioned the, uh, the, the analytics and and the data behind these things. That's where like, if I'm going to say something of what do you not like about James Franklin's coaching on game day? It's like, I don't have all of those facts as well. You know, like, so that's when I say like, I'm not paying attention to that stuff. I'm not paying attention to uh, you're down 15 points. Let's do a math probability equation. Because in my opinion, you waited too long to try and score those points. You deferred winning the game until the third and fourth quarter to be aggressive. And now you've got to be ultra aggressive. So I guess, you know, kind of some of the game day things that I was, I think about is, and this is specifically to last year, get the points. Don't, don't play it safe the whole time. And it felt like a lot of times last year, they were deferring trying to win the game until late in the game. And that is, both unfair by me because there's a lot of things that go on in a game. That's a gross generalization, but I also think it's a fair point, especially against Ohio state and Michigan where, you know, that's where to me, the whole, they play tight thing. That's where that comes in is they're not trying to score points early because they're, they're, they're more fearful of giving up points and putting the defense in a bad situation than they are making a play. And that, that is again, a gross generalization, but those are some of the things that I guess my opinion of, of the offense last year and how it operated. 
T. Frank, could I agree with you one thousand percent? Sure. If I have a crit- also mathematically <laughs> impossible, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, you got to give one hundred ten percent on every down, T. Frank. But I, I think I really agree with that with that point <laughs> because it's. I think that's where James Franklin sometimes. A smart guy using analytics, and I gave an example where he used analytics and he got heavily criticized for it. But I think it was the proper decision. Where I think he makes a mistake sometimes is his feel for the game where it's not about analytics. It's not, uh, you know, factual. It's not data analysis. It's understanding, hey, I'm handcuffing my offense. Let them loose earlier. I'm handcuffing this very talented quarterback. Let him loose. Let him try to score points instead of just not make a mistake. And I yeah. think that sometimes is just that intangible feel for the game versus just studying the the, the data analytics. So it, it's a fascinating discussion, T. Frank, and I'm sure one we're going to have again during this offseason, but a very good point by you. All right, um, T. Frank, I want to go back to our discussion on the defensive side of the ball, and there's like this domino effect. You move uh, Abdul Carter from linebacker to defensive end. Okay, now you got to make the adjustment at linebacker. Then at linebacker, that third linebacker, is it actually going to be a safety, you know, a 4-2-5 type of thing? So you're affecting now the defensive backs and specifically the safeties. And you you wrote about this last week, and I found that fascinating. And you even called it in your article perhaps an overgeneralization. But, but I want to talk about this. You said Tom Allen equals zone, Manny Diaz mm-hmm. equals man-to-man. And you even said yeah. it's an oversimplification. But could you talk about the ramifications of this defense changing to more of a zone and yeah. how does that affect the safeties? So it's not just about the safeties. And this is kind of, I use them as a vehicle to talk about defensive coverage in my offseason optimism articles, which going through each position saying, what are the strengths they're bringing back? And, and also I mentioned, what are the, what are the things they can improve upon? And this is an area where what you're asked to do can produce more positive results in one area than they did the previous season. So the criminal, and by the way, like, criminal overgeneralization there is that everyone uses zone coverage more than man coverage. You can only run a a handful of man coverages. You know, there's cover one, there's cover zero, and there's cover two man are the primary ones. You can get into the what's three seam versus some of these other things and you can do matches and, but those are all zone concepts. Um, So there's only, nobody runs zone coverage more or man coverage more than zone. But what are you emphasizing as the main coverage you run? So if you boil it down to, this is a cover three team, this is a cover four team, this is a cover one team, that's where we get into these nuances, and that's why I made the the just offensive generalization that Manny Diaz didn't use zone, <laughs> because absolutely he did. So these concepts apply to both of these men, but which one are you emphasizing and relying on more when it comes to trying to affect the quarterback? So. What this sets up is man coverage results in passes broken up and I'd say generally sacks. But again, that is a gross generalization because you have a good zone that confuses the quarterback. He holds on to the football again. Um, so I would say 
pass breakups, right? So that's where you're, you're getting your hand on the ball. You're stabbing it out of the receiver's hands. You're denying the passes even being thrown. Zone coverages results in more interceptions than man coverage. From an analytical perspective, that's absolutely true. Now, it's not 70% versus 4%, but it is double what you get out of man coverage. So Tom Allen's point is to, I don't want to say gamble, because with the defense and the skilled players he has on defense, he can pull it off, but it's to try and confuse the quarterback and instead of just denying the pass, take the ball away. And Manny Diaz said his whole point of his defense before 2023 is you're trying to put the quarterback in third and long because that's where you get the most turnovers, sack fumbles, and interceptions. Tom Allen's defense, and again, a generalization is he's trying to take the ball away on first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh down. Like that's what these, these rotations and all the things I've talked about, that's the point of all these things. Changing windows is to be unpredictable so the quarterback thinks he's got his first read open and somebody steps in front and takes the ball away. So zone coverage allows you to do that more than man coverage. And that makes a lot of sense. I never thought of that way in terms of turnovers. But if you're a quarterback, I would think against the man-to-man, it's pretty understandable. I have, you know, uh, Marvin Harrison going out there, and I, I have Kalen King covering him. I know exactly what I'm up against. But I get the feeling if you're zoned, you often see those interceptions. It's because you, the quarterback never saw that second defender. And is this kind of like what Iowa's defense does? They want to play zone, fool the quarterback, and create those kind of turnovers. Is this the concept that you're talking about? A little bit like that, but I would say, um, and this is, so again, we're going to, we're going to talk about Penn State's three different coordinators that have long standing under James Franklin with Brent Pry, Manny Diaz, and now Tom Allen. They're all of the same, you know, family tree. And that's why James Franklin has hired them is he wants to keep the continuity of the defense. It's what he believes in. And it's also what he's recruited for. So people are concerned that Tom Allen, because he doesn't use Manny Diaz concepts is going to be. Uh, a zone drop team where you run to a certain part of the field, you turn around and you cover that area. And that leads to bend, but don't break defense. That is not what Tom Allen does. They are aggressive in disguise in different ways. Manny Diaz disguised with pressure. Everyone's on the line of scrimmage, but suddenly you're playing uh, a cover three with, with a five man blitz and you've got three under three over and you've got a guy dropping into the flat where I'm expecting you're going to throw the football, right? So he's trying to take the ball away using zones and pressure. Tom Allen is doing it differently. He's doing it from a traditional alignment. So you're going to have a five man pressure, but the pressure is going to come from the slot corner. It's going to come from the will linebacker. It's going to be trying to get a free guy running through a gap that the defense, the offense is not accounting for because there is no indication that it's coming as opposed to the indication that everyone is coming, you know? So that's the different defense, the, the differences in the defense there. And then there's a concept in zone coverage is called matching where yes, I'm playing a zone, but I understand there are only so many threats to this side of the field. So this is going to turn into man coverage. So it's using your resources better. So you're not covering empty grass as much. Um, It can lead to big plays if everyone's not on the same page, but you do have these concepts where you can go in there and anticipate and, and, and um, game plan and kind of tailor things a little bit to the offense you're playing, which is not then we do what we do, but we're going to do it bigger, faster and stronger than you. We're going to do all those things, 
but we're also going to have this second layer. And then when you throw on top of that, some of the things that I, that I focus on where suddenly he's got a cover two look, two deep safeties and the corners are in the flat and they invert it. And suddenly there's a safety in the middle of the field and the other safety is playing in the flat. And then the corner is playing deep. And you have these unpredictable rotations because you've got three safeties on the field in these situations, because you can, now you have the flexibility to play guys in, in a bananas, different positions. And you have this zone based defense. So it provides you the, the aggression on the back end to be different than just a spot drop zone. And that's where I think fans need to understand the differences that it's not, going to be completely going back to that style of defense. There are elements there. There are some elements there, but for the most part, it is this middle ground of aggressiveness from a traditional alignment. Very good T Frank. That's going to have to be the last word. Although I will mention when you talk about zone, but someone's picking them up, man and basketball, we call that a yeah. matchup zone. Anyway, that is it for our show. Thanks for your expertise, T. Frank. That's it. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.